0: A mother in Yuma, Arizona is desperately seeking answers nearly a decade after her 19-year-old daughter went missing.
1: I'm just begging and waiting for somebody to please help us, help us find her.
0: He used to own Black Rose, so he had construction below his trailer. He had like a hole there, I was like, dude, that guy? No way. I knew he was weird, especially with young ladies, but I didn't know he was, you know. But that's the thing, you never know with anybody.
1: I'm Elmer Key, and this is Rural Gothic, a podcast about small towns with big crimes. And right now, I'm trying to find out once and for all what happened to Emily Heber, a 19-year-old girl who vanished from my hometown of Yuma, Arizona, 10 years ago this month. Last week, my old friend sent me those screenshots of Andy's Facebook posts. She said he took them down shortly after posting them, but she saved them all of these years just in case they ever became relevant. And surprise, surprise, I kind of know Andy too. We met through a mutual friend about 20 years ago, hung out in a group one night, and that was it. I never saw him again. I think I moved out of town shortly after that. My impression of him was really good though. He seemed sweet and funny and kind of chaotic in the way that all teenage boys from the jackass generation were back then. He definitely wasn't on drugs when I met him, although we were underage drinking. I'm not even sure if he will remember me. I knew I had to track Andy down and see what he had to say. It took a few phone calls, but I found him. I'm talking with you today because I came across an old Facebook post where you felt like you had voiced that, you felt like the police had wrongly accused you for being involved with Emily Heber's disappearance. Can you talk to me a little bit about that experience?
0: So during the time of that event, you know, I felt alone, I was questioned. They called me in and interrogated me. So keep in mind, I was in the middle of a drug-induced psychosis at the time. So I, you know, wasn't really in touch with the reality, but I do remember they were questioning me about, her disappearance and you know obviously I never met the individual so I told him I didn't know you know but it was just like an ongoing thing despite that incident but random police calls on myself for my own welfare check because of the psychosis that I was experiencing um I don't know if that's any kind of like any relation but I felt at the time during all that I, I mean I don't know what gave them the idea to question me. Maybe they just thought, well, let's just mess around with him because, you know, he's not in the right state of mind.
1: Do you feel like they were kind of harassing you? At the
0: time, I felt that, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I felt. You know, I just felt like I was, you know, I made countless calls. I do recall making countless calls to the police for as well for check to check on my, you know, mental stability, you know, and getting curveball with that on top of, you know, seeking help. So like, I just, you know, I just kind of just went with it, you know? I mean, it was very limited what I could do at that time, too, as well. You know, I was living with my mom and, um, you know, it was very limited resources. I didn't know or seek at the time. But I do strongly believe that, you know, people that do struggle from mental illness or challenges in their life, you know, I feel like sometimes the judicial system sometimes takes advantage of the situation for to their benefit, but, you know, I also do believe that there is treatment out there for individuals. They want to help, They're ready. are yeah. ready to help, and that, that they want to help the individuals. So not everybody is like a criminal just because they struggle with the diagnosis, so to speak, you know? Totally, I so, agree so. With that completely.
1: Can you remember if they gave you any indication of why they felt like you were involved?
0: Honestly, no, I don't. I. Never met the person. I mean, all I've heard about just like posts online about her disappearance and stuff like that, billboards of her, you know, rewards and stuff. But other than that, I had no... You'd never met her? So you were only
1: interrogated by the police
0: once? Once on that account, yes.
1: Like once in person, but then a lot of phone calls. But you can't remember if it was all about Emily or... Well,
0: I remember, I can recall it was an actual... In-person contact question about it by a detective. I do. I don't remember the person's name, but I was living at, at a close location nearby here, and I remember they questioned me about her disappearance and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously I didn't know, but I was also going through uh, drug-induced psychosis, mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it, right. um, during that time. So I felt, you know, I told them what I knew. They didn't know nothing, obviously, but that's really questioning, I guess. You know, just because it was a long investigation. You know, they're trying to figure something, you know, and I and I get it to a degree, but still, I mean, I guess there's different ways of approaching situations when you're doing an investigation. Before we wrap
1: things up, I guess. Um, Deep, have you heard anything about what might have happened
0: to her? Are there things okay? No. I believe she was a different age gap than me, so I I really don't know anything like I was just kinda odd that I was questioned, but I mean I think that's what police just do in general, just to try to find, you know, certain, you know, uh, suspects or something yeah. like that, just to try to figure, you know, just the whereabouts, because that's how they, you know, that's what they do. During that time, I had no answers. I don't, I didn't know anything, you know, so because I've never met the person, so you know, I mean, it's just kind of blindsided, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. <laughs> for sure. Really
1: appreciate you taking the time to talk to
0: me. Yeah, no worries. And I'm so
1: sorry that they treated you like that and you went through that. Gosh, my heart goes out to him. I can't imagine being amidst a mental health crisis and then being interrogated by the police about the disappearance of a girl you didn't even know. I have to say, I get the sense he's telling the truth and just wants to put this whole thing behind him. Andy's story got me thinking about addiction and how horribly stigmatized it is in our culture. I consider it the most misunderstood disease of our time and obviously it plays a big role in Emily's story. I have seen firsthand how addiction can turn people into the ghosts of those we love. I wanted to talk to an expert about how this can happen. Danielle is a therapist with an extensive background working with the unhoused community and addicts, specifically with teens
2: and young adults. She's also a dear friend of mine. My name is Danielle Hurwitz and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I'm a therapist here to Los Angeles, I started working with Covenant House California. And I was their education and employment coordinator. And I was there for about almost seven years and just helped homeless teens. It was transitional age youth. So it was 18 to 24. We helped them get employments, work on any educational things that they wanted to work on getting their GED. We also worked the head of the Hollywood homeless youth providers. So there's other organizations in Hollywood, of course, like Los Angeles Youth Network, My Friend's Place. I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about how addiction actually works on the brain and on the body. Well, you know, I can talk about a little bit more about how it works on the brain and the body for a teen. Teenagers have all of these feelings and they have um, impulses right? That's emotions, right? You're back here. And there's no executive functioning to come in and say, whoa, 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 that's not a safe thing to do. Let's do something safe. So that's why they're more likely to do drugs, right? Or Check them out, right? Experiment, and explore. Experiment, see what's out there, right? And maybe to try it for a longer period of time, right? And it's it's the studies are showing that if you're doing that in teenage years, you're more likely then to become a drug user when you're older. Can you talk a little bit about how addiction can lead to
1: homelessness?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that drugs can lead to homelessness depending on the level of severity of the drug use, right? Like, if you have a teenager that's stealing from their parents, if you have a teenager that is making other people around them unsafe, doing something, getting into trouble. Maybe they've gotten arrested and the parents are like, what else are we going to do? Or they've given their, like, here are the boundaries of all of that. And you still cross those boundaries. And so now you have to kind of do tough love, like that idea of tough love. Mm -hmm. I think that's where homelessness can come into. This idea of like, here are my boundaries. You're going to cross them. You can't stay here. I might as well just stay with my drug family. Like, at least I'm choosing them.
1: You're amazing, Danielle. Thank you so much for your time. This was an incredible conversation. I'm back in Yuma for that interview with Andy and an old friend's wedding. The local news put me on to help promote the podcast. This whole experience has been so surreal. I spent so long running away from this place, but now I'm here all the time working on this show. It's always a strange feeling being back here. I hate to say this, but it's unsettling. I always have this feeling that something could go wrong and I'll end up stranded here. I've never told anyone this before, but my secret fear is dying in Yuma. I can't explain it. I remember when leaving this town felt like a fantasy. There's a moment every single day where I just feel immense gratitude for the life I have now. I know that some people love it here and have made it their home. A lot of my friends at this wedding who stayed in town really put a lot of work into the community and actually made it a better place. It's touching and admirable to me but it also makes me feel a little guilty and wish I had the strength to do the same. I have to remember not everyone has had the scary and violent experiences I had in this place. From the outside, Yuma is beautiful and quaint. But for me, it's a ghost town. Every street is thick with haunting memories. Doing this show has brought a lot of those memories and feelings to the surface. Back to Andy, I should mention that after our interview, I found a picture of him and Chad together on Facebook. But it was a couple of years after Emily vanished, so there's no reason to believe they knew each other at the time. Speaking of Chad... I didn't mention it before, but when I was initially digging around the internet for information on him, I saw a police bulletin for someone with his name wanted for questioning in relation to the murder of a 20-year-old native boy named Angel back in 2012. By the way, Chad gave me permission to use his real name, but I've been calling him by a pseudonym. There's a real chance he has nothing to do with any of this, and if that's the case, I didn't want to complicate his life. Also, since this is technically an ongoing investigation, I thought it could potentially be useful in case more people call in with similar tips. They wouldn't have gotten his name from my show. In actuality, Chad has a very distinct full name. So let's go ahead and call him Chad Stone for the sake of this show. The fact that someone with the same name is wanted for questioning in regards to a murder a year prior to Emily's disappearance is odd. I couldn't find any other information about it, so I have no idea if his killer was ever brought to justice. It wasn't covered in any news stories at all, so I put in a request for the police report a few months ago and kind of forgot about it, until now. On my way to Yuma, I finally received his police file. Reading the report is shocking. We are going to take a brief departure from Emily's story while I take you through this police report. I also want to warn you that the story I'm about to tell you is violent and tragic, and it will haunt me forever. Listen at your own discretion. My son woke up to take a shower in my bathroom to get ready for school. He told me that my friend's boyfriend was asleep with his eyes open. I went to see what he was talking about and noticed he had a hole in his shirt and blood all over his shirt and the floor. Then I called 911. I noticed the back door was open. Here's a summary of what the detective wrote. The boy informed me he had returned home from his nana's house in the evening the night before. His mom, her boyfriend, his friend Angel and Chad Stone were sitting around the kitchen table drinking beers, talking and listening to music. While the adults were hanging out, he went into a room with his brother and put on a movie until they fell asleep. He didn't hear anything until his alarm woke him up for school the next day. That's when he woke up to shower and find Angel sitting on the couch with his arms and legs outstretched and his eyes open. After a 10 minute shower, he came back out and realized something wasn't right with Angel and ran to tell his mom. I read this entire heartbreaking report and in the end, Chad Stone did kill Angel. He was arrested and charged, but it wasn't the same Chad Stone in our story. I still felt this was important to tell you because cases like this happen all the time and they don't get reported on in the media. Angel was a Native American young man who lived on a reservation outside of Yuma. I still plan on telling you more stories about unsolved small town crimes, including all sorts of people who don't usually get their stories told. But for now, let's get back to Emily. I was able to get in touch with someone who used to know Chad really well. They were extremely hard to track down and very reluctant to talk to me. They moved away from Yuma and have tried in a very real way to have a fresh start. They finally agreed to talk to me, but only if I didn't use their voice at all. So for this interview, we'll be using a voice actor and giving them the name Charlie. I wish I could describe this person to you because they mean so much to me. Even after all these years, talking to them felt like no time had passed. Alright dude, I'm gonna ask you about your experience With setting up the Black Rose, that all-ages music venue, coffee shop, and with your experience with the owner and the other people involved.
2: (laughs) Damn, okay. Well, now that I know what it is, I definitely don't want this shared. Both of us would know each other by our cadence.
1: Do you want me to have uh, an actor play your part?
2: Yeah, for something like this, for sure. Is that okay?
1: Yeah, no, that's totally cool. That's actually, um, I'm just so relieved you're going to talk to me about this.
2: I know Chad, like, so fucking well. I mean, I was literally really tight with that guy for years. Are we recording?
1: It's recording. Gosh, I really hope that you're still going to talk to me, though.
2: Again, like, I don't give a fuck in a lot of ways, but also I, like, care about you and want you to be able to stay safe, so. Oh, my God
1: the rest of my conversation with Charlie in next week's episode. If this was an open and closed case, it wouldn't matter if you engaged with this show, but Emily is still missing and her family needs answers. A real way you can help right now is by subscribing to Rural Gothic and by rating, reviewing, and sharing it with everyone you know. I want to thank Jenny Jimenez for trusting me with Emily's story, and to all of Emily's friends and family for their participation. A special thanks to Zach Schwartz for editing, Manish Madahar and Izzy Fontaine for the original score, to Jam Cole for production assistance, and Joshua Anzano for audio production assistance. At the top of every episode, you can hear my uncle Dave Marquis reading the news report, and sources for this episode can be found in the notes. I'll see y'all next time on Rural Gothic.